You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Well, good morning, Covenant Hope. If you have a Bible, grab one and turn to Genesis chapter 23. Yes, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly and love to do so. We're going to continue in our series through the book of Genesis, which we have titled God's Story of Creation to Restoration. Uh, if you are a guest today, we normally walk through books of the Bible together because we want to know what God has to say and not particularly what I have to say. And so we walk through books of the Bible together. And we, we call this time corporate worship. We sing songs, but we also come to this time where we, we hear from God's word. We call that preaching. And so I want you to engage with God's word this morning. I want you to look down in your Bibles. I want you to think and process and pray about how God is speaking to us from his word today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, it's my prayer that you see a safe place for you to ask questions, to see what the church is about, to see who Jesus is. So that at the end, our hope and prayer for you, if you're not a believer today, is that you submit your life to Jesus in the same ways uh, that many of us have. Because every time we come to these scriptures, we come to submit our lives to them. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those hard uh, black Bibles in the pew back in front of you and turn to page 17. Death. Death is not something that we particularly like to talk about. Death is not something that we particularly enjoy, as we shouldn't. Death is, death is foreign to, to our world. It's not what God intended. If you remember back in Genesis 3, God had made everything perfect, as Pastor Ryan already said this morning. But in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve decided to sin. They chose to disobey him. They chose to mistrust him. And Paul tells us in Romans 5 that because of that sin, death entered the world and reigns. And so we live in a world now that is confronted with the reality of death that should have never been here. And what we saw was even in the midst of death, God made a promise to Adam and Eve. There would be a son, there would be a seed, there would be an offspring who would come and crush the head of the serpent. Our enemy, Satan, sin and death. And we await that son, at least in the story. We know who that that son is. He's Jesus Christ who came in the flesh 2,000 years ago. But here in our story, we've watched it unfold and we're waiting for the seed to come and it gets to Abraham and Sarah and they can't have kids. And God says, I'm going to provide a son for you. And we've seen that son be born. Last week we saw the test of Abraham's faith. He trusted He trusted God to leave his past, and now we know that Abraham trusts God for his future. And we saw Abraham walk in faith. And today, this story of Genesis chapter 3 is an opportunity where we're going to see Abraham still remain faithful to his God. Because his God has been faithful to him. And so this morning we have a little bit of an interesting passage. If you look over Genesis 23... Some of you have. I've talked to you about that. You say, well, what's the sermon point going to be this morning? Here's the truth of the text. As I think about Moses writing this and Israel hearing this, now us receiving this thousands of years later, what's the main idea of the text? In the face of death, 
God begins to provide the land he promised to Abraham and his descendants. So as we think about this passage, what I want to do, normally I would give you the main idea of the sermon, but let's walk through the the text itself. And I want you to to look down in your Bibles, I want you to follow along, and I want to explain what's happening. And at the end, I want to give us uh, three application points uh, for us that we see here from our story. And, And we understand then how we, as those who have called the name of Jesus, how we should respond. So let's look here. Genesis chapter 23, look down to verse 1. Now Sarah lived 127 years. These were all the years of her life. It's important to note that Sarah is the only matriarch in the Bible to have her lifespan recorded. It's important. This is an important moment for Abraham and Sarah and their family. And it's important for Israel to know, it's important for us to know that this is a a crucial moment. It's a crossroads for them. Sarah died in Kirath Abara, that is Hebron, the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Sarah dies. Notice where she dies. She dies in the land of Canaan. The land that God had promised, but that Abraham does not own any land. And so in response to Sarah dying, Abraham mourns her death. He did this both privately, he would have disheveled his appearance he would have messed his hair up he would have torn his clothes he potentially would have sat in ashes he mourned her privately but he also mourned her publicly and we see that when he goes to the city gate here's a reality church that death still comes for God's people death still comes for God's people at the end of the day until Jesus comes back death still has an effect on us and our world We cannot outrun it. We cannot outspart it. Death will come for us. And it should cause us to pause and to ask a couple questions. If death is coming, how do I make my life count? If death is coming, what's after death? And folks, I don't have any other answer, any any way to actually answer that without the hope of the gospel in Jesus Christ. How do we make our lives count? We let God. We we align our story with God's story. What's after death? There is a reality that we could be separated from God for eternity, or we could be with him forever. Those questions should be in front of our minds as we think about death. But notice how Abraham responds. When Abraham got up from his bedside of his dead wife, he spoke to the Hethites. Now quickly, some of your Bibles, if you don't have a CSB, uh, they're going to say Hittites. Uh, I think the CSB gets it right. It's the Hethites. Here's why. We don't see the Hittites until they, they actually come on the scene a couple hundred uh, years later. And I think this is the right translation of understanding these, this is a different people. These are a people in Canaan. They're not the Hittites that we see in Joshua and other places. But, but as difficult as Sarah's death is, it presents an opportunity. It really presents a problem for Abraham. Look at verse 4. I am an alien resident among you. Look what he asked for. Give me burial property. Let me possess the land among you so that I may bury my dead. Abraham owns no land to bury his loved wife. He is still an alien. This reminds us that God's promises have not been fully revealed. Abraham does not have graphs of all the promises that God said. 
Abraham's status as an alien now intensified by the lack of owning property, which God had promised, shows us the tension between death and God's promises. What's going to be true? Does death get the last word? Verse 5, the Hethites replied to Abraham, listen to us, my Lord. That's a formal uh, response, address. Really think about it, sir. You are a prince of God among us. The Hittites, they, they recognize that Abraham has a standing before God in the land. This is why they address him as a prince. He's wealthy. He's been blessed by God. He has influence. He has relationships with the people in the land. And they say, bury your dead in our finest burial place. None of us will withhold anything from you for his burial place for you burying your dead. So they offer Abraham a burial plot for Sarah to be buried, to honor her. Sounds like a good, a good, a good deal, right? Hey, we, we, you don't have to pay anything. We, we think you have great influence. You're a great man of God. You can bury her here in our finest burial places. But what's, what's the problem with that? They're actually slighting Abraham and Sarah. They're really deflecting his request to buy land and rejecting his ability to become a permanent resident of the land of Canaan. Which is exactly what God promised him would happen. So look how he responds. Look at Abraham's faith and how it operates. Then Abraham rose and bowed down to the Hethites, the people of the land. As an act of humility, he rises, he stands up, and then he bows down to them as a humble and respectful response. He said to them, if you're willing to, for me to bury my dead, listen to me and ask Ephron, son of Zoar, on my behalf to give me the cave of Melchah that belongs to him. It is at the end of his field. Let him give it to me in your presence for the full price as burial property. Abraham makes a formal request. He wants to buy Ephron's cave the, the, what he wants, he wants this cave at this field. It's not going to impede his ability uh, or Ephron's ability to use the field for any kind of crops or anything like that. He just wants the cave on the end. So Abraham makes his formal request. He tells him, go tell Ephron. Well, verse 10, Ephron was sitting among the Hethites. He was already there. And so in the hearing of all the Hethites who came to the city gate, Ephron the Hethite answered Abraham, no, my Lord, listen to me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the sight of my people. Bury your dead. Again, Ephron doubles down on this free gift, this free offer, but without any kind of legal transaction. No receipts for Abraham. He doesn't have claim to the land, even if they give him this spot. Look at verse 12. Abraham bowed down to the people of the land and said to Ephron, in the hearing of the people of the land, listen to me if you please. Let me pay the price of the field. Accept it from me. Now let me bury my dead there. So in a very practical way, these two men are arguing over the receipt at the restaurant. Hey, I'm going to pay for it. No, I'm going to pay for it. Right? Abraham didn't slip out to use the bathroom to pay for the check while the other people didn't. No, that, that didn't happen. Right? He's trying to formally engage this. He wants this to be a public hearing so that everyone knows that Abraham would own land. And look how skillfully Ephron responds to him. Verse 14, Ephron answered Abraham and said to him, My Lord, listen to me. Land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. I mean, you can hear the rhetoric. 
But understand, Ephron is trying to discourage Abraham from buying the land. What is 400 shekels of silver worth? That's nothing between me and you. You, you don't, Don't be worried about paying that. But he's discouraging him by saying, you can't pay that. You shouldn't pay 400 shekels of silver for that. Why? He overprices the land at this point. How do I know that? Well, David only paid 50 shekels for the plot of land for the temple to be built. Talk about inflation. This, this is inflation, right? He said 400 shekels. He want, Ephron wants to give this as a gift to Abraham. But gifts require obligation. All right, you, you know this. You, you get a gift. You get a gift from somebody in your family. And it's that ugly sweater that you're never going to wear ever. And you have this, you just, you really feel really bad because you know you take it out. Wow, thank you. This is wonderful. You fold it up and you put it back in the bag and you're like, ah, can I take that back or not? I don't know. That's exactly what gifts require obligation. And so when Abraham knows if I take this gift and I have to, I have to abide by his rules, I don't own that property. Ephron didn't think that Abraham would agree though to this inflated price. But look at verse 16. Abraham agreed with Ephron. Abraham calls Ephron on it and calls him out, calls on his bluff. And since there were witnesses there, now this has become a legal transaction. Ephron could not go back on his word. And Abraham weighed out to Ephron the silver that he had agreed to in the hearing of the Hethites, 400 standard shekels of silver. So Ephron's field at at Malchpah, near Mamre, the field with its cave and all the trees, anywhere within the boundaries of the field, because Abraham's possession and the sight of all the Hethites came to the gate of his city. Notice how detailed Moses writes out the, the ownership of this land and the cave, this field and the cave. He gets trees. It, it explains. By verse 18, Abraham's possession, very important, that, that, that he now owns, possesses a piece of land. He's now a full-fledged property owner in the land of Canaan. So what does he do? Look at verse 19. After this, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave of the field at Machpelah near Mamre. That is Hebron in the land of Canaan. The field with its cave passed from the Hethites to Abraham as burial property. Abraham buries his wife, demonstrating his commitment to the land that God had promised him and to his family. This land is now Abraham's. It will be his offspring's. We know that when Joseph, when they go to Egypt, they bury his father at this place. This is now the land of Abraham's family. And you see, Abraham's commitment is a result of his faith. He was not going to leave that hearing without buying property. He believed that God was going to give him the land. And his faith motivated him. To respond this way. He and Sarah believed in God's promises. Think about, I know we've been in it for, for, for 10 weeks. We've seen just over and over again how God has proven himself. But this was years. And Abraham says, I can do nothing but trust God. And this is why we read Hebrews 11 this morning. Hebrews eleven thirteen 13, to remind you, these all died in faith, 
although they had not received the things that were promised. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on this earth. And then the author of Hebrews in verse 16 says, But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So we think about this text. It's, it's, it's not so much about negotiation as it is about responding in faith. So let's come back to the main idea of the text. right? In the face of death, God begins to provide the land he had promised to Abraham and his descendants. But what does that have to do with us? What does it have to do with you and me sitting here in, in another land two, but more than 2,000 years later? We have a hope beyond the grave because even death cannot stop God from keeping his promises. If you're a disciple today, if if you've submitted your life to Jesus, this is what we need to know. We have a hope beyond the grave, beyond death, because even death cannot stop God from keeping his promises. You see, our faith in God's promises extends beyond the grave. Abraham trusted God to keep his promises even after they were long dead and gone. This is why he buries Sarah in the promised land. For us as disciples of Jesus Christ, our hope is the same. They extend into eternity. This life is not all that we are promised. Abraham had around 50 years to learn that God keeps his promises. But we've had much longer than that. Much longer than that. We, we have all of history. We have the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. We've seen God be faithful over and over and over again. And we've seen actually God keep his promise to Abraham and Sarah that there would be a son who would come and crush the head of the serpent. God delivered on his promises to Abraham and Sarah. They gave them the land of Canaan. He gave it to the Israelites through Joshua. But the Israelites squandered that through idolatry. And God removed them from the land. He exiled them. In the midst of that exile, God sent the Messiah, Jesus Christ. God kept his promise even though his people were unfaithful. Jesus came as the fulfillment of all the promises. Despite his people's faithlessness. Church, it is in the gospel that we see both God keep his promises of the past and also look forward to the promises that he has for us in the future. Why? Because the gospel has brought us into God's family. God has forgiven us because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. He's accepted us now. So all our past sins are done away with. So that we can look forward to a future in which we get to be with God. The gospel is that Jesus came to live a perfect life. He was born of a virgin. was sinless. He was betrayed. He gave his life on the cross. He died on the cross as a sacrifice for you and me. He was buried. But he was raised three days later. That's how we are brought into the family of God. And then, some days later, Jesus ascended into heaven after his resurrection, where now he sits on the throne and intercedes for us. And it's this Jesus that brings the new covenant. Not the covenant made with with animal blood, 
but a covenant made with the blood of a living Savior. And it's that blood now that Jesus will, all, will usher into a new creation. You see, Abraham and Sarah, they could only, they could only imagine the promised land. See, it's hard, but it's hard for them to think about or even fathom. It's hard for us to think about or fathom one day the entire earth will be God's people's. We will be with him. Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham hoped, he desired, longed for a homeland. But he could only imagine this small piece of land. But we will inherit the new heavens and new earth when Jesus returns. You see, we, we, don't, we don't come to Genesis, Genesis 23 and think about the land that is over on the other side of the world. No, we come to, to Genesis 23 because of Jesus Christ, and we see that one day when Jesus returns, we will be with him forever here. And that's now where we pull our application points out. If we've been bought with the, the blood of Christ, if we've now been brought into God's family, how, how do we live well, the promises of God help us do three things. The promises of God help us do three things. The promises of God help us endure death. Help us endure death. We've learned that death comes for anyone, all of God's people. We're not immune to it. We also see Abraham mourn the death of his wife, which is the right response. We mourn over death. Why? Even though Abraham trusts in the promises of God, he knows that death is unnatural to this world. It's a foreign agent to God's design. Jesus mourns over the death of Lazarus, one of his closest friends. Jesus gets to the grave with Lazarus and he weeps. He knows that this is not the response. This is not how the world should be. But the thing about Jesus is he spoils funerals. If you notice throughout the New Testament, when Jesus goes to a funeral, he always messes it up. No, they don't stay dead. And, and this is our, this is, we may laugh, but this is our life, you see, because you were dead in your sin. And Jesus has now brought us to, to life with him. This is, this is what he does. So we can endure death. We don't mourn as those without hope, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4. We mourn. Not without hope. We mourn death, but we hope for a future in which God will make all things new again. We can mourn the effects of death, but they are not permanent. Death will not have the last word. Because Jesus and his victory over death, we can endure death here and now. Because we know one day death will be completely destroyed. But that doesn't mean that death isn't difficult. It doesn't mean that death isn't hard for us. Many of you in the room have lost family members to death. That doesn't mean it takes the pain away. But the promises of God help us remember that this grief is only temporary. Because when John sees the vision of the new creation, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. It is that truth that helps us endure. The beauty is that death does not nullify the promises of God. Right? Death cannot, has no power to change what God has promised. Abraham believed that even after death, God was able to do the impossible and to deliver on his promises. Death is no threat to God in any way, shape, or form. 
so the promises of God help us endure death, but it also the promises of God help us exhibit faith. They help us exhibit faith. Uh, we, as we've said the whole, the whole morning, death is the biggest challenge to, to us as human, uh, the human race. It's, it's the biggest challenge we face. It's the biggest in, in, enemy. Everyone in the world will face death at some point, whether they want to admit it or not. Everyone's going to eventually die. And because of this reality, people respond to the prospect of death differently. Even me just talking about that, for some of you, it causes anxiety. The constant worry about death or, or losing loved ones. For others, it causes depression, a deep sorrow and despair. Wondering if, if anything you do will have an impact for the future. And at some level, everyone responds with a dose of something when it comes to death. Abraham could have sat in despair when Sarah died. God's not delivered his promises. God's not done what he said he would do. But that, does, that isn't his response. Instead, he properly mourns her. Then he acts. In, in response to what has happened with, with faith in God's promises, he goes after the land that God had promised him. His faith is exhibited in his actions to purchase the land. All right, church, let, let me be very clear. It is the promises of God that enable us to act in the face of great difficulty. We've been taught. It, it, it's like it's ingrained in the American experiment that you, you, you pull your bootstraps up and you tie them tighter and you, you just keep going. That will ultimately fail you. It is faith in God's promises that keep us going, and particularly the promise in Jesus Christ. It's God's promises that fuel our motivation to respond in faith. Often faith flourishes in times of God's provision, protection, and blessing. But it's easy to forget when it's all said and done, when those hard times come, where our faith is. In the face of great challenge and adversity, Faith is truly given the room to operate. And you can really see it in those difficult times. So you think about a house and a crawl space in that house. Most of the time you don't go in your crawl space. Most of the time crawl spaces aren't a great place to go into because they got a bunch of spiders that I don't like. And so you go into those crawl spaces, but what you see is you see all the concrete and in the cinder block and the trussing and all the things bolted together. How often have you thought about your, uh, those, those storage spaces, those, those crawl spaces? How often do you think about that when you walk into your house? Probably not that often. Maybe a few times. But what happens is you walk into, those crawl, or walk into your house, that, that crawl space, that foundation is there built so that you can enjoy the house. In the same way, our faith in God's promise is the foundation for us to live and act and trust God no matter what comes for us. This morning, you may find yourself facing anxiety, depression, something else, or worse. The starting point for experiencing freedom from those things is faith in Christ, that we trust him. And I, I have nothing else, nothing else bigger, no plan, no steps, nothing other than the faith in Jesus Christ is what can change you, not change your circumstances, but change you so that you can trust God no matter what comes your way. So the story teaches us that the promises of God help us endure 
death. It helps us exhibit faith. But also the promises of God help us expect a future. It helps us expect a future. Right? Abraham doesn't bury his wife in some willy-nilly way. It's not like, okay, yep, here, here we go. I'm just going to do it because it's, it's what I can do. No, Abraham believed. He expected a future where he and his family would own the promised land. That's why he buries her there. He doesn't turn back. He doesn't go back to his land, to his, to his people. No, he stays in the promised land because he believed God was going to do what he said he was going to do. So much so that he purchases an overpriced field. He trusts God so much that he, he purchases a field that was way overpriced. But here's the truth. Abraham could have never paid enough for that field. He, he would one day get the entire land. His offspring would, would enjoy the whole land of Canaan. I'm reminded of the man who sold everything he had to buy the field in which he found a treasure. He sold everything. Every penny that he had, he sold it to buy that land because that treasure was so important to him. Abraham could have never, ever overpaid for this land because it was what God promised to him. It was what God was giving to him. And think about this. We sang it earlier. Death is the doorway to life. Well, death is the doorway to, in, to inheritance. Sarah was buried in her inheritance that her children and their children would receive because the promises of God. Death is just a doorway for us to inherit all the promises that God has for us. Death can do nothing but bring us closer to God. And you see, when we give, when we're generous, when we, when we, do, when we steward God's things, all of that's going to pale in comparison with our inheritance in Christ. You can make all the money in the world. You could give all the money of the world away for people. That's all going to pale in comparison to the inheritance that we have. And so Sarah was buried in the grave. She was the, this grave. She, Sarah, in this grave were the first fruits of a full promised land. And in Christ, we have an empty grave. The first fruits of our resurrection. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15... But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through one man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through one man. And for just as in Adam all die, so and also in Christ all will be made alive. And in each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward at his coming, those who belong to Christ. We have experienced the gospel. We've been brought from death to life. And one day we will be resurrected with our living Savior. We also have a down payment on our inheritance. Paul says in Ephesians 1 verse 14, the Holy Spirit is the down payment for our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Until we possess our full redemption in which we are resurrected with Jesus Christ, we have a down payment. And that's God's spirit. That's himself in us. We, like Abraham, will one day experience all the promises of God. But church, do not be fooled into thinking that God's promises are exhausted in this lifetime. Do not believe that God's promises just end when we go to heaven. No, we get to experience God's promises. 
In the same way for Abraham, as we wait for our future home, that's, that's our future possession. But our future home is with God. Do not ever forget that. I think it's important that we take a moment to just pause. Christians often talk about heaven, and as, they, as we should talk about heaven. It's a, it's a wonderful place. I can't wait to see it. But oftentimes, heaven is, is described in not so helpful ways. We talk about what heaven is and not who's there. Heaven, the, the ultimate reason that we profess faith in Jesus Christ, one is because we acknowledge our sin and God is, is, is calling us to respond to that. It's not because we're afraid to go to hell or that we want to go to heaven. No, we profess faith in Christ because we want God. That's why we profess faith in Christ. We, we, don't, we don't just believe in some cartoon version of heaven. We long to be with God. When you are saved, here's the promise. You get God forever from that point forward. We don't profess faith in Christ just to get something on top, just, just to get heaven. We profess faith in Christ to get God himself. Heaven is just the icing on the cake. Or better understood, heaven is all the benefits of being with God. Heaven is all the benefits of being with God. And when Jesus returns, here's the deal. When Jesus returns, God is not staying in heaven. God is bringing the heavens and the earth. He's going to remake everything. And all of that, this is where we are going to be with God forever. We're not going to fly away. We're going to be here in a new world, remade because our living Savior reigns. Our possession is the whole world with God and Christ our Savior. This has been God's plan all along. He prophesied it in Isaiah 65, verse 17. For I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. This is the promise that Paul picks up on and Peter reminds us of. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 13, but based on his promise, we wait for the new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Peter looks and he looks at the promise and he says, that's what we're longing for. And Paul connects the dots, right? Peter and Paul, they both, they've, they've connected these dots, but John, the apostle John, he gets to see the vision. He actually gets to see it. In Revelation 21, John said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city Hebrews 11, I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. That is our promise. That one day, God will wipe every evil and everything wicked and everything wrong away. And he will wipe your tears away. And he will be with you forever. That's what we get in the gospel. We know that God keeps his promises. And we have a hope beyond the grave, even one that death cannot stop. But how should we live in light of that? We've received strength to walk in faith. Just like Abraham, we can now walk in faith. Not because we, we are mustering the strength, but because we're relying on Christ and his promises. We can walk in Strength and faith. 
We can take comfort in God's promises when those difficult circumstances arise. There's comfort in God's spirit. There's comfort in God's word. And there's comfort in God's people. There's three things that God has given us until he comes back. He's given us his spirit. He's given us his word. And he's given us each other. So that when those difficult challenges arise, we get to come together and we get to help one another walk in faith. And finally, we can live with eternity in mind. It changes our goals. If our goal one day is to be with God in heaven, then it changes everything that we do here. It changes our priorities. It changes what we do. It changes how we work. It changes how we raise our families. It changes how we talk to our neighbors. It changes everything. Because our eternity is a promise that we will be with God forever. You see, eternal hope enables the believer to endure death and exhibit faith. There will be a day when death can no longer come for God's people. There will be a day when God's people fully experience God's promises. May we, like Abraham, never turn back. And may we trust Christ more and more every day. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you are a good Father who gives us good gifts you're, you're a God who gives us uh, your word that you keep your promises. And we, we've seen that over and over and over again. So God, I ask that you would strengthen us. As, as the man who came to Jesus and said, help my unbelief. Would you help us as a church? Would you help our faith flourish? Not in some small promise. But in the biggest promise of the universe that we will be with you one day. Because of Jesus. So God, would you make this a place where faith reigns? Will you make this a place where hope and comfort come from that faith? Lord, we love you. And it's because of Christ we pray these things. It's in his name. Amen.